0: Michael Tate on his DC talk hit album from 1992, Free at Last, he sings a song. Actually, you know what? That was not on that album. It was a different album. It was soon Supernatural. Hmm. But he sings a song, We All Want to Be Loved. We crave affection, It, it is the fuel that keeps us going. And I've entitled the message today, A Pastor's Prayer for His Flock, That They May Know the Love of Christ. I was joking with Scotty and Kelly this morning, yeah, this is one of those Jesus Loves You sermons. And, but you know, as children, we sing, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know. And I'd ask you as an adult, as a Christian, and this is a sermon focused on Christians, so like if you're not a Christian and you're here this morning, we're super glad you're here, but you kind of are listening in on someone else's news here. But I'd ask you as an adult, do you really know that Jesus loves you? Are you certain that Jesus loves you? Ephesians is a generic epistle. It was written to multiple churches. We know it was read in the Ephesian church. It was read in the Laodicean church. It it was probably read in all of Asia Minor to all those churches. And so it is the most directly applicable book in the Bible to our lives. And with that said, I'm going to approach the text today as if it was the letter of Paul to the church of Santa Rosa. Or more specifically, the letter of Paul to us here at Redemption Hill and Paul prays that we would know the love of Christ please stand for a responsive reading I will be the leader and you the congregation what who does Paul pray to What does Paul pray for? That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner man. Where does Christ dwell? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you be rooted and grounded in love. What does this strength empower us to know? In Paul's prayer of praise, what does he say our God is capable of? Him, to the power us. Where is God's glory seen most clearly? You may be seated. So this is Paul's prayer of petition and praise. There are two parts. The first six verses are petition. Paul is asking for something. And then the last two verses are praise, and that's where Paul worships God. So the petition is verses 14 through 19, and first we have the person. Who is Paul praying to? Second, we have the basis. Why is Paul praying to this person? And third, we have the request. What is Paul asking for? Then he closes with worship in the last two verses. And Paul answers here two questions. Number one, how does God amaze us? And two, where do we see God's glory most clearly? So let's jump in. And keep in mind that a prayer is like a letter. It has a from and a to, and this this prayer is from Paul, and it's to a person. So number one is the person, and the person is the Father. Who is Paul praying to? The Father. When Jesus teaches us to pray in Matthew chapter 6, he begins, Our Father who art in heaven. And yes, you can pray to the Son, and you can pray to the Holy Spirit, for they too are God. However, in Scripture, we have zero examples of praying to men. That is a blessing reserved for deity. You see no examples of praying to men, whether they are dead or alive, You see no examples of praying to Mary or to the saints. We pray to God, and primarily we pray to the first person of the Trinity, our Heavenly Father, who, as Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 11, loves to give good gifts to his children. So Paul begins his prayer, verse 14, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. For this reason. For, for what reason? And there's a question here. When you're trying to find the reason that Paul's talking about, do you go backwards or forwards? Now, some connect this reason with Ephesians 3, verse 1. If you look earlier in the text, Paul also says, for this reason. And some people say, Paul said, for this reason, and then he kind of kind of had a tangent. He went on and he's like, okay, I got to get back to my reason. And he comes back in verse 14. So maybe we should look back to earlier in chapter 3 or even in chapter 2. At the end of chapter 2, Kellen Eddy taught us that God has removed the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile. Like Ronald Reagan said to Gorbachev, so the father said to the son, Mr. Jesus, tear down that wall. Kelly Hubley was telling me today that that statement wasn't even in Reagan's notes. Like he just felt like he had to say it. But basically, that's what the father said to the son. And thank goodness, Jesus tore down that wall. At the beginning of chapter 3, Kelly Hubley taught us about the mystery of God revealed to us. This mystery that shocked the angels. That shocked the Jews. This mystery that God has brought us Gentiles into the household of faith. Paul says, in short, you're in. The wall is gone. You Gentiles have been brought in. For this reason, I pray for you. Because now, you're family. If we look forward in the text, this reason might be ahead. Because you could say, for this reason, I'm praying that. And that's kind of what Paul does in verses 14 through 16. So perhaps Paul is saying, I pray for you for this reason that you may be, verse 16, strengthened. You Jews and Gentiles who have been brought together as the family of God, you need his strength. And because you're family and because I want to see God working in your lives, It's for this reason that I'm praying for you. For this reason, verse 14, I'm going down on my knees for you. Paul prays on his knees. There are different postures in the Bible for prayer and worship. Standing, kneeling, sitting, on your face. Growing up Pentecostal, we called that sucking carpet head bowed, hands raised. And I want you to know this, that posture matters. William Hendrickson says, the slouching position of the body, while one is supposed to be praying, is an abomination to the Lord. At the very least, it says that you don't take God very seriously. Paul hits his knees. And parents, teach your kids. To stand in awe of God, to be reverent, and let your children know that their body posture matters. Let your teenagers know your body posture matters. It should express soberness and reverence, or perhaps exuberance and praise, but never a lackadaisical attitude toward the things of God. Pay attention to your posture when you approach God. It can help you engage more seriously and more passionately in prayer. Now, Jews didn't usually pray on their knees. Usually they prayed standing. But Paul is lowering himself. He's humbling himself before God as if to say, I can't do this. God, these Christians are weak, they need strength, and I can't give it to them. Only you can. So I'm going to the Father, verse 15, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Now, this is a tough verse. Every family in heaven and every family on earth. Some have speculated that Paul here is referring to people families on earth and angel families in heaven. The Greek has a play on words here. Father is the word patera. If you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. Father is patera and family is patria. So Paul is saying, I'm praying to the patera from whom the patria is named. The Bible is very patriarchal or patriarchal. Over and over, it speaks of male headship and male leadership in the family, in the temple, in the church, in the nation. Like it or not, it is all over the Bible. And in scripture, when you see genealogies, you see the word begat, so-and-so begat so-and-so. And in these verses, for the most part, the women are not mentioned. Now, we know that all this begetting could not have happened without the ladies. But when Scripture speaks of families and the heads of families, it speaks of the patera, of the fathers. And there is a truth here that families are started by men. A man pursues a wife... He marries her, and he begins a family, and he's responsible for that family. Fathers lead into family. Elizabeth Elliot is famous for saying, if he won't lead into marriage, then he won't lead in marriage. And the first father to lead the world into family is our Heavenly Father, who is the patera of the Trinity. And from whom every patera ever to exist received his title. Whereas Paul says, from whom every family is named. So, dads, we have a high calling. We are named Father after our Heavenly Father, and we are called to walk in his footsteps and lead our families. And I think the reason why God created the role of Father on earth was so that we could understand the role of our Heavenly Father. Now, this phrase could be translated as every family or as the whole family. Every family fits well with every father who gets his title from every Heavenly Father. However, every family distinguishes the separation of families, the distinctness of each family. And I don't think that fits the context really well, Because we're talking about Jews and Gentiles coming together as one family, as one patria. William Hendrickson argues that a better translation is the whole family in heaven and on earth. And I think that'll make a little more sense to you. So there are Jewish and Gentile saints on earth. And there are Jewish and Gentile saints in heaven. 2 Corinthians 5.8 Absence from the body is presence with the Lord. But all of this family, whether Jew or Gentile, whether on earth or in heaven, all of them make up one patria, the family of God. And this entire family looks up to its patera, our beloved heavenly father. So first, the person to whom the prayer is directed is the Father, and number two, we have the basis of the prayer, which is the Father's abundance. Why am I going to the Father? Because He has the resources. If you remember on Saturday morning when you were a kid, you heard that magical sound I know some of you are starting to reach for your wallets. <laughs> some of you are salivating. Because that is the sound of the... Ice cream truck. Playing that familiar melody, turkey in the straw. And as a kid, you heard that sound, and all of a sudden, you had a need. You needed resources. You needed money to buy yourself... A Powerpuff Girl Bar with Gumball Eyes. (laughs) Or a Choco Taco. Or an Astro Pop. So who did you go to? Not your buddy Johnny, because he didn't have any money. And even if he did, he wasn't going to give it to you. You went to your parents, your mom or your dad. Why? For two reasons. Money and love. Number one, they had the money. And number two, they loved you. Similarly, Paul knows that his heavenly father loves these Christians and that God has the resources to meet their needs. So he prays in verse 16, according to the riches of his glory. Our God has riches. He has a big bank account. Psalm 50 verse 10, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Pastor Milton Vincent, Carolyn's pastor, who married us, he tells a story of when he was planning his wedding, and his dad came up to him and said, son, what are you going to do for your honeymoon? And Milton thought, he's like, oh, that's nice, he cares, but he didn't think much of it. So he went about planning his honeymoon based on what he had in his bank account, which wasn't very much. And after he had put the entire honeymoon together and paid for everything, based on his meager budget, his dad asked again, so, what you planning on doing for your honeymoon? And Milton told his dad the details, and his dad responded, because I want to pay for your honeymoon. Milton said, at that point, I had two different emotions. First, I was grateful that he was going to pay for my honeymoon, and second, I was extremely frustrated because I had planned my budget based on my bank account, and my dad had a much bigger bank account. And if I had planned my honeymoon based on my dad's bank account, I would have had a much nicer honeymoon. And having learned his lesson, Milton told his siblings, hey guys, if dad asks you about your honeymoon, don't plan your budget too tight because dad will probably pay for your honeymoon. And often we live our lives like that. We plan our lives based on our budget rather than God's. I think to myself, well, that's what I'm capable of. And I plan accordingly. But Paul here is saying, God, out of your abundant riches, please meet this need. And I would encourage you, pray big prayers to your big God, just like you did when you were a child. Paul speaks to the Father, and based on the Father's abundance, he makes a request. And that a request is for strength, specifically in your inner being. And it's good to pray for physical needs, for health problems, for financial struggles. But when you look at Paul's prayers, the lion's share is focused on the hearts of the saints and their spiritual growth. I know I personally tend to focus my prayers more on the outer man, and I need to focus more on the inner man. So Paul says, I'm going to God on behalf of this spiritual family. I'm praying, verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, or literally your inner man. And you'll see that there's power words all over this text, strengthened, power, ability, What is it that keeps Paul on his knees? Paul is saying, do you want to know why I'm praying? Why I'm on my knees? It's for you. You keep me on my knees because I want to see you strong. You need the Holy Spirit to give you strength in your inner being. And I know Pastor Tim and Kelly feel similarly towards us, brothers and sisters, we keep them on their knees. Although, Tim, you've been keeping us on our knees a lot lately, too. <laughs> but they, they want to see us strong. They want to see us growing in knowledge and self-control, faith, hope, and love. They want to see the fruit of the Spirit growing in our lives, to see us maturing more and more in Christ. Now, let's say I ask Scott Rudell to come up and lift this barbell over his head. We, may, we might end up in the hospital, actually. I actually tried this morning. <laughs> it didn't work. But let's say he comes up here and he, he puts his hands here and he gets ready to go for it, and, you, and you're like, oh, I wonder if he's going to do it. You want to try? Sure. <laughs> okay, and then um, Kevin, can you come on up here? And Jeff, Jeff. You, you, you wanna, you wanna, you wanna grab the ends and help him a little bit. Ah! <laughs> 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 okay, you guys can be seated. Thank you. Now, the fact that I asked Kevin and Jeff to help. Implies something. (laughs) Now, similarly, the fact that Paul prays for strength implies something about us. It implies that we need it, that our own strength is not enough. We are weak and we need strength from the Lord. Repeat after me I am weak. My own strength is not enough. enough. I need strength from the Lord. Lord. Never forget that. No, you don't have to keep (laughs) reading. Never forget that because when you do, at that point, you will realize just how weak you really are. We are like Moses in Exodus 17. We need someone to hold our arms up if this war is going to be won. What does this strength look like? I thought of Mary. Mary, the mother of Jesus, in Luke chapter 1. In the midst of an unplanned pregnancy, she bursts forth in worship and she sings, My soul exalts in God my Savior. I think that's the kind of strength Paul is praying for. Strong faith hope for the future. There's an energy, a joy, an exaltation of the soul, a strength that God gives to his children. He digs deep into the riches of his glory and he lavishes us with strength in our inner being. And the more God reveals his glory to us, the more strength we have. Not in my notes, but I I was kind of impressed this morning that there is a lot of loss in this life. And many of you, maybe most of you, have experienced a lot more of that than I have. And I I was just thinking about I have a teenage daughter who's 13, who can turn off my slides at any second if she wants. (laughs) But she's going to get older and she's going to go off to college. And, you know, I hear, uh, you know, Emma and the Cunninghams talking about their scenario with two kids leaving to college. That's tough. This is hard stuff. And it was very encouraging to me to think about it as we were worshiping. You know, in heaven, we're all going to be together. The ones who are here, the ones who have left, the ones who have gone on to glory, we will all be together. And so we can know that this time, these times of separation are temporary so god gives us power now where is this power directed it's directed it says to your inner being and and i think that also means that it's directed to you individually So yes, the dividing wall has been removed. Jew and Gentile are one family. God deals with us as a united family. But also he ministers to each one of us as individuals. And you know, there are lots of passages in the Bible about God establishing or strengthening his church. But this verse focuses on the individual believer being strengthened in his inner being. God cares about you personally, and I think you need to know that. So Paul, filled with the Spirit of God, he's led to pray, not just for the church as a whole, but for you personally, that you would be strengthened in your inner being. And why does God, why does God or why does Paul care so much about strength? Why is strength so important? Well, a few reasons. First, it is to the benefit of the believer, Paul wants to see us living in the blessing of the Lord, experiencing joy and progress, tasting the goodness of God and enjoying that exhilaration like Mary enjoyed in her worship. Second, it's for the benefit of the church. An effective, healthy church requires mature, strong Christians. And when people come to Christ... We are called to teach and to train them for godliness. Jesus doesn't say, go into all the world and make baby Christians. No, he says, make disciples. Why? Because weak Christians are dangerous. A church filled with immature believers is not a safe place to be. Weak Christians are dangerous to themselves, to others, and to the honor of God. And if you are one of those weak Christians, you probably haven't been getting the discipleship that you need. And I'd ask you a few questions. How regularly are you in the Word? It's your food. How often do you show up to church? Are you in one of our discipleship groups? Do you have a mentor? that you meet with regularly someone who really knows you and what's going on in your heart who knows what sins you struggle with someone whom you will listen to when they counsel you or rebuke you if you need help with that i'm really good at getting rebuked (laughs) and we have a lot of strong godly men and women here at redemption hill i love that about our church And if you need a mentor, let us hook you up. Talk to Tim or Kelly or Kellen or myself, and we will prayerfully find a mentor for you. So the best way to help yourself and to help the church and better reflect God's glory is to be empowered by God to become strong. One of my mentors, Dean Davis, he gives us a caveat here. He says... But remember, we often feel ourselves to be weak. And such weakness is not always dangerous, but often good. Blessed are the poor in spirit. God has chosen the weak things. His power is perfected in our weakness. So, he says, you want to define strength carefully. Like Jesus, we are to grow in wisdom, knowledge, the fruit of the spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, but as we do, we also grow in a sense of our native powerlessness or weakness, which in turn casts us upon the Lord for daily infusions of His strength in these areas. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. I am weak, he is strong, my strength comes from him. And notice that the strength that God gives you is never meant to wean you from needing to depend on him on a daily basis. In ourselves, we are always weak and we will always be needing the Lord's strength. What is strength? It is energy or power to accomplish something. Energy or power to accomplish something. What is the purpose of this strength that Paul is praying for? Paul is praying for this strength to accomplish two things in your life. So purpose number one, comprehend love. To empower you to comprehend the love of Christ. You will not understand the love of Jesus without the power of the Holy Spirit. In verse 17, Paul continues. He says, I fall to my knees in prayer so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So the purpose of this strength is to comprehend love, namely the love of Christ. It's interesting, we can hear about the grace of God and the kindness of our Savior and just not get it. It doesn't make sense. We don't understand it. It's not real to us until God gives us strength to comprehend it. As a public school teacher, I remembered teaching reading comprehension. And there were some kids that just got it, usually the girls. They didn't need all of my powerful reading comprehension strategies that were proudly posted on the wall of my classroom. They just naturally focused on the meaning of the content, they understood it, and they remembered the story. The boys, on the other hand, needed a miracle. They needed help. It was as if their brains were so focused on the sounds and the words without comprehending the meaning. And I had to strengthen those boys with the power of my reading comprehension strategies or they just weren't going to get it. Similarly, we hear the gospel and we don't get it. We need the power of the Holy Spirit for love comprehension. I could have titled the sermon today, Love Comprehension. Think about it. How many times did you need to hear about Christ crucified before the lights came on for you? We need God to strengthen us so that we understand the the gospel, so we truly understand the love of Christ, and so that it becomes real to us. That's the kind of strength I want for you, because when you comprehend his love, everything will change for you. When someone loves you, everything changes. It's like seeing the world through rose-colored glasses. Everything you see has the tint of the love of Jesus. May you know that Jesus loves you and that his love is unshakable. It never wavered even during the darkest moments of your sin. Jesus continued to love you when you blew it, when you lied, when you failed as a parent, when you were looking at pornography, when you had an abortion, when you committed adultery. Through it all, he never stopped loving you. Now, some of you are thinking, ah, I thought we were all in a clean, this is a clean, tidy bunch here at Redemption Hill. We're not. We are a motley crew of wicked sinners who have been saved by grace. You will fit right in. (laughs) Jesus went to the cross for you, knowing it all. He still chose to die for you, knowing every sin that you would ever commit. He shed his blood for those very sins, because He loves you. And I think some of you, when you tell someone Jesus loves you, you believe it with all your heart. But when you think about Jesus loving you, you struggle. And I want you to leave today knowing that he loves you. What would you say? Jesus loves me. me. This I know. For the Bible. Bible. Tells me so. I told you it was going to be a Jesus loves you sermon. So... (laughs) And my question is, do you believe that? Because the text, verse 17, says that this happens through faith. Paul prays that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Believing God and his promises is the action that opens the door to Jesus so that he can dwell in us, so that his love can be real to us. I want this for you. I want this for me too. I want Jesus to walk boldly across the threshold of my heart. I want him to invade my life. I don't want him to tiptoe in like some shy guest who's wondering whether he's welcome or not, who doesn't want to impose, but I want him to come in like a tidal wave that floods every cubic millimeter of the house. It fills the house from floor to ceiling. It bursts the windows and gets the neighbors wet. May you open yourself up fully to Jesus Christ. May you open every door to him. The front door, the back door, the door to every room and every closet and every drawer. May you open the garage door and every window. Do not put up sandbags to block the flow of the love of Christ in your life. But open yourself up so that he might fully dwell in you through faith. Paul continues in verse 17. He says that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth And the length and the height and depth. So it says rooted and grounded. Rooted is an agricultural term. I want you to have roots. Coastal redwood trees, I learned that they can grow up to over 370 feet tall, taller than a 30 story building. They can have a diameter of over 20 feet, but they don't have very deep roots. Often they only go down about three feet deep. But they can extend out for over 50 feet in every direction. So when you plant a redwood in your backyard, beware. A lone redwood tree all by itself can fall over very easily. And that's why these trees are usually found in redwood groves. They stay close together. Their roots intertwine and they stay strong. Now, doesn't that sound similar to the church? When we are living in intimate fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ, we stay strong. We are rooted and we're grounded. Now, that is an architectural term. A building that is connected well to the ground is grounded and it will stay strong through a storm. It's built on the rock. We are grounded in the scriptures and the gospel. We are grounded in the love of Christ. And the more real these truths are to us, the stronger we are. People that are rooted and grounded are people that know that they are loved. People that are living a spiritually and emotionally healthy life in the context of a loving community that is being built on God's word and saturated with the love of Christ So Paul prays, verse 18, that we would experience this love with all the saints. Now notice this strength does not come from eating your fruits and vegetables, or going to the gym, or getting to bed by 9.30 p.m. every night. This strength that we enjoy in the context of community, it's interesting, it leads us to knowing. To really knowing and enjoying the love of Christ. Verse 18, Oh, that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Now, the phrase breadth, length, height, and depth, according to the ESV Study Bible, expresses the immeasurable dimensions of God's riches in Christ. The children sing, the love of God is so wonderful. It's so high, we can't get over it. It's so low, we can't get under it. It's so wide, we can't get around it. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 9, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? For I am sure that neither death nor nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor anything, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's Paul's way of saying nothing. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing and no one. Not even you yourself. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 13. This is affectionately known as the love chapter. And oh, that we would know the love of Christ. So can I tell you more about it in hopes that it will become real to you? 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that love, and thus the love of Jesus, is patient and kind. Verse 4. It is not arrogant or rude, but Jesus is humble and polite. He is self-sacrificing. I think we're continuing in verse 5. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful, but it's kind and forgiving. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, verse 6, but rejoices with the truth. Jesus hates evil. He loves the truth. And he gives. He gives and gives and gives and keeps on giving. He never says, I've had enough of you. Verse 7, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. The love of Christ is the most powerful force in the universe. Verse 13, so now faith, hope, and love abide. These three... But the greatest of these is love. Love and horror hold hands at the cross of Christ. John 15, 13, Jesus says, Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And maybe you struggle with believing that Jesus loves you. And I want to encourage you to look to the cross. Because at the cross, Jesus proved his love. And notice that the cross is like a sword. I encourage you to grab that cross like a sword and run your doubts through with that powerful weapon. This is the love of Christ that I want you to taste, to enjoy, to drink deep of until you are completely satisfied and filled So purpose number one, so God gives us strength, purpose number one, that we would comprehend the love of Christ, and purpose number two is fullness. This strength is meant to fill you with the fullness of God. Verse 19, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, if I had asked you, how much of God can you be filled with? You might say, well, probably a very little bit. But I doubt you would say, I am filled with all the fullness of God. The fullness of God dwelling in me. How could that happen? How could immortality dwell in my mortality? How could his omnipresence take up residence in my finite nature? And regarding this verse, I have to say, I I have more questions than answers. But let me take a stab at it. Perhaps it's like, having God's DNA being inside us. And follow me here. We are the body of Christ, and you could say that we are cells in the body. In a human body, there are around 15 to 75 trillion cells. Some of us have more than others. And every one of these cells possesses the full DNA code of that person. And perhaps it is in a similar sense that God fills us with the fullness of himself. He puts his DNA inside us. 1 Corinthians 2.16 says, we have the mind of Christ. Stealing from Johannes Kepler, we think God's thoughts after him. So God wants to fill us with his fullness. Here's the juice Scotty mentioned. And so just imagine God kind of filling you up and filling you up so much that it just overflows until he's filling you on the inside and you are just completely surrounded by the love of God. You won't be completely surrounded because I don't want to get water on the stage. So Paul prays this, and then he ends his prayer with worship. So we have the praise section. And Paul closes the chapter by pointing out three aspects of the glory of God. And it's like he's holding up a diamond for us to look at. He wants us to see its brilliance from three different angles. Yeah, I know it's not a diamond, but it's close. So we see God's glory in his ability, his church, and his son. And Paul begins by worshiping God for his ability. Number one, you're a God whose ability blows us away. Verse 20, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us behold the great ability of your god to blow your mind and to do more than you ever thought possible i actually think of this verse before pretty much any sermon i preach i pray god i don't want what i can accomplish because i know that's not very much God, work today through this sermon and do what only you can do. Go above and beyond anything that I could think or imagine. I prayed that prayer for the children's ministers today and for Scotty today. Remember, we want to live according to God's budget. Number two, Paul worships, You're a God who forever will get glory through the church and Christ. Verse 21, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Marriage was invented so that you would understand this verse. God will get glory not just because he has made the Jew and the Gentile one, but more importantly because he has made sinners and Christ one. The two have become one so much so that they two together are the glory of God. And God will be glorified for this astounding work forever and ever. As we close, a few takeaways. Number one, consider your posture when you pray. Make sure your posture is helping you to reverence God and to focus your attention fully on him. Number two, Remember that you are weak and you need the Lord's strength every day. Number three, focus your prayers on inner being petitions. Sure, go ahead and pray for health and finances and for all your problems to go away, but also pray for God's strength. Pray for the fruit of the Holy Spirit to grow in your life and in others' lives. Number four, avail yourself to the resources that God has provided for giving you strength. Prayer, Bible meditation, fellowship in the body of Christ, godly mentors, you need these resources. Number five, live your life with God's budget in mind. Now, often we limit our vision to what is humanly possible. But as we go through Ephesians 4 through 6, starting next week, God is going to start asking you to do things that are not possible, that are not humanly possible, things that you can only do with the strength that God gives. One illustration, God says, forgive. And you think, oh, I guess I can let him off the hook, but I'm not gonna be his friend. I'm not gonna be nice to him. I just don't have it in me. Again, I'm thinking according to my budget, and my abilities. But that's not the kind of forgiveness that God gives. He gives ill-merited favor. He forgives all of our sins and lavishes us with his love. And he doesn't continue to hold us at arm's distance. So do you know what it means to forgive God's way? Number one, you don't retaliate. You don't try to get back at that person In any way. Number two, you pray for that person. You ask God to help them and to bless them. Number three, you volunteer to be God's hands of blessing in their lives. It's like if you're praying, you're saying, God, bless them, bless them. And then you say, God, pick me, pick me. Use me to bless that person. And then start looking for ways to do good to them. And you might say, but... I can't do that. And that's right. God's budget, not yours. You're going to need God's strength to do God's will. And number six, rejoice that God's glory is wrapped up in your good. God gets glory through the body of Christ, with Christ as the head and us as the body. So... We are so united with Jesus that the blessings that fall on him fall on us as well. So that you can trust that the love of Christ will never fail you. God is glorified forever and ever. Amen. And you are loved forever and ever. Amen.